episode of 699 per pound podcast uh yo so i feel like a lot of situations have been happening we have a very special guest as always uh and this particular special guest is a good friend of the host of the podcast uh his name is mr jason kim welcome to 699 per pound jason over here he's in a uh he works at advertising um he's a copywriter and now a creative director uh for a agency called anomaly overseeing the budweiser account but aside from that he's had uh, his hands in various different projects working for brands such as samsung to guys like nike to music clients but in his past life, he was also a professional dancer. Uh, this is all true. I feel like this is true. one of those this things is a great we big don't story. have to. This yeah, is yeah. all true. This is all true. And uh, uh, he was a, uh, he's, uh, he's originally from L.A., but also was birthed in Germany. Um, and he has his roots in Korea. Uh, overall, he's one of the most friendly, magnanimous, interesting, inquisitive, jovial, jovial, jubilant, um, and scumbag. Nah, minus the scumbag. Go on. But uh, yeah, and the big headedness as well, <laughs> um, and fashionable uh, individuals that I know personally. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jason Kim to the 699 per pound podcast. We're gonna do we got an audience here today. Yeah, man. <laughs> Shout out to Ken who's in the room. Shout out to Ken as well who's in the room taking notes like a young grasshopper that he yes. is. Yes. All right. So, Joe, I think, do you want to kick it off? Why not? Yeah. You didn't give me an option. So, okay. So, I'm really excited to have Jason on the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to say it like that for the rest of the podcast. Um, I'm so excited to have him because when I was younger, I wanted to be in advertising, actually. But then more like on the creative side, like as a graphics person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it just seemed it's not all it's cracked up to be like Mad Men, right? And I was like, oh, this is too difficult. So I gave up on my dreams. So I want to hear um, all about this kind of world. I feel like everyone thinks they know what there is about it, but there's a lot of like um, things that are happening inside that you don't realize, like you don't necessarily get to choose your accounts, like when you're younger. Um, you are working at Anomaly, which is like very prestigious. Like I think it was a 2017 agency of the year, but you've worked at other agencies as well. So you've gone through, you know, ups and downs. So we just wanted to hear all about your experience. But first things first. Yes, thank you, first of all, for having me. Cause like usually every time that we meet, we're always like drinking or partying. And so this is like the first time we're like being adults. And Drinking and partying is being adults too. It, it, this is true. This is true. That but is I mean, true. like you know, like our conversations are usually precluded with 
you know, we have to take a shot and then we'll talk about something that's not that important. Right. But I feel like what you guys are doing here is actually, it serves a greater purpose. Right. Not and my life. trying to steal yeah. our jobs. Okay. And He's hosting. No, the fact that you guys are inviting me to be on it, it's, it's a big honor. You know, some of the people that you guys had on here are good friends also, but people right. that I look up to. Right. So, um, okay, so enough about all of that. So talk, talk to us about advertising, man. <laughs> Thank you. Just you from know, the jump, yeah. I can't even say my thanks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, I appreciate the I thanks. thought this was a freestyle type of podcast. It is, it is. But yo, man, I don't I don't No, need but you, it's true. I don't like, need you to thank everybody, all right? Like, uh-huh. let's, let's, let's break it down Okay, well. Quick. So hopefully I can bring something valuable to the table. No, I feel you, like I'm you, not that. You always bring valuable things to the table. I mean, shout out to Anomaly for always letting me come through the office and just it's use like free It's like your personal WeWork. We work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in Soho. It's like, yo, uh, can I pull up? No, sometimes you can be like, Jake, he's here right now. I'm like, he tell him to respond to my text about the podcast. Like, yo, yo. <laughs> um, okay, so first question mm. before you kindly interrupted with a thanks. Um, what is your title and what the what do you do? Um, my title is uh, Senior Creative Lead. Mm. Um, that doesn't really mean anything. I feel like especially with advertising these days. Uh, titles have become less and less of a thing. Like traditionally, it's uh, so. I, so I'm a copywriter by trade, and I would say like that's what I do. Um, and you're usually partnered up with an art director, and the two of you sort of spitball to come up with ideas. And then as your career progresses, you usually become a creative director, and then like global creative director or whatever, whatever. But nowadays, um, nobody really like you don't write that much because there's no such thing as print ads as much anymore. Um, you don't see like huge headlines anymore. People aren't like spending hours and hours and thinking about like, just do it. What's the next just do it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's super important skill to have because your headline should be the one sentence that encapsulates the entire idea of the entire campaign. Um, so it's important to be able to think in that way and still write. But I don't remember the last time I've written an actual like headline for a product or anything. Um, it's the ideation that I think is the value that uh, mm. creatives bring. So for creative directors, mm-hmm. is it pretty common to have an or- original background as a copywriter or an art director? Like, can you funnel up to the same position or is it more? Uh, it's usually, a traditionally, uh, creative directors have more of a copywriting background. Oh. Um, but art dire- it's not uncommon for art directors to also become um, creative directors now, um, yeah. Like it's 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 just different now. It's especially right now. It's it's kind of a weird time to talk about advertising because everything's like on the cusp of becoming something else. Everybody wants to do content. Nobody wants to spend money on these big, huge global things. Um, audiences are much more aware. You can't just bullshit anymore and like get away with it. And people would be like, oh, okay, like. Nobody watches TV anymore, or if they do, it's not people that you want buying your shit anymore. Um, so it's a weird time for advertising, and I think therein lies the problem with it, which is why so many agencies are crumbling and they're called dinosaurs, and why people have been opting to go more in-house and doing their own marketing because they feel like it's a huge waste of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that sounds really bad, <laughs> like, and I'm like discouraging <laughs> Don't people. Do it. Yeah, it, it sounds like I'm discouraging people from getting into the industry. Um, but I feel like if you are able to um, navigate that and translate how 
all that kind of stuff filters through, then, you know, you'll be fine. Right. Um, I think, you know, advertising, it's, uh, I think a lot of, especially um, many of us, like our first exposure to the world of advertising has been um, from TV show Mad Men, right? Um, and I feel like a lot of people could agree. So in that show, aside from the fact that Don Draper is like, you know, he's he's a man with a lot of issues, mm-hmm. um, but you see that the creative process that comes along with it, um, it's a lot of guys just having these meetings and yeah. just bullshitting around. Oh, totally. Until they come up with some idea. Yeah. So is that structure of creatives like just bullshitting to come up with idea? Is that still something that is true in the world of advertising? Is that something yeah, that you still see? I think like you'll see the most fake creatives in advertising. And I don't mean that as a um a diss. Because like let's say like so I consider creatives people who create for the sake of creating, right? But in advertising, that is not the case. You are creating something for the sake of selling something. So your job, as much as it is being a creative, um, one of my mentors in school actually told me this, but our jobs are more akin to a janitor because you're helping other people's shit just kind of go through and flush through. Mm. Versus... God damn, that's a bar right there, yo. Ooh, so you guys are you guys are in the business of janitorial work, right? We're just helping other people shit go through mm. in the most effective way. Um, so let's say you know you have you're selling something X. Uh, let's say it's toilet paper, right? Um, just as an example, you can talk about why people need toilet paper, and everyone's going to have a need for toilet paper. So how do you differentiate that from other toilet papers? So you'd be like, oh well, it's it's soft, as soft as you want it to be, because you would want something soft on your butthole, right? Sure, definitely. Some people, you don't want that red blood. You don't want it hard in your butthole. You know what I'm saying? It's I guess sense, some people want it hard in your butthole. Part. It really yeah, depends on <laughs> that. Nah, I agree with that, yo. You, but you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like being able to package whatever you're selling mm-hmm. into something that's uh, uh, an emotional connection to, yeah. to that product. And I remember, like... Um, seeing this video that was breaking down um, this younger advertising like creative student being like what do you do when your client has like bad taste right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're trying to pitch this great idea mm-hmm. and the, the speaker had an unexpected answer of like how do you know that person has bad taste right and it's like at the end of the day what well, you are being paid to do something on time under budget um, and have the reach the KPIs, which is like reach this many eyeballs, right? And so they're more objective things. So, so for those of us that don't know what KPI stands for, what does that um, mean? Key performance indicator. Mm. So it could be like your goals. Yes. Of like, do you want how many downloads or how many views or how many like people shared it? Or for sure. Like, it's up to you. You like your brand gets to create their own KPIs. So it's basically statistics for your brand to say, okay, this is the return, basically the ROI, where the return of the investment that we got. Exactly. Yeah. Numbers. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is like very unsexy. But then how did that not dissuade you from this industry? So I read this thing recently. I don't know where I read it from, but I want to preface that I read it so people don't think I'm stealing someone else's <laughs> idea. So this is not my own idea. But 
Um, there's a difference between selling out versus creating something and getting paid for it. Um, mm. Selling out is if you are uh, lowering what your creative output is for the sake of only selling it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are getting paid to create something, then that is literally your job and you need to be able to do that well. And despite it not being, um, you might have shitty clients, but you, you can. it's always easier to play the blame game in any relationship, whether it's like a personal one or a business one, but that doesn't solve problems ever. So like, it's an easy thing to be like, oh yeah, the work wasn't that great because the client or because of yada yada, because of whatever, blah, blah. But if it's something that you've created and that you're actually proud of, then none of that should really matter. Uh, it's easy for me to say that because I'm, I've been doing this for quite some time now. But I think as a younger creative, um, it's disheartening. But advertising is one of those things where um, it's not like they say, yeah, idea is king. That's true. Idea is king. But if you can't sell that shit, then you shouldn't be in this game. Like you got to be able to go in there and charm like a penny off a snake's back mm -hmm. and make them be like, damn. You got to be able to charm a penny off a snake's back, son. <laughs> Jake, he's having some young love right now. He's obsessed with you. I That's like a that. thing, right? I That's like a that, saying, right? right? I like that. <laughs> now, and there's a particular language that I noticed that in the field of advertising and especially people in advertising like. Like, I noticed that like white people in like the world of advertising, they like, how should I put it? They like the Donald Glovers of the world. I see what is, you're is saying. That, yeah, is, do you, do you I, get I, what I'm saying? I, I know it's saying. like they, they like people with a little bit of flair Yes. to the point that they feel comfortable. You right, know what I'm saying? Right, so right. it's like if you come through and, you know, you could be the most creative guy in the world, but you start talking like, yo, what up, Dunn? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, shit, like I don't know about all that, but – they want the same type of kid who mm -hmm. can speak the language that they're comfortable with. So I'm glad you're bringing this up because I think this is a huge topic that uh, the advertising world is sort of going through right now. Um, it is super controversial, which is why I also like it because I fucking love controversy. <laughs> drama. Right, drama, exactly. <laughs> Let's take a sound clip from this controversial mm. topic we're going to talk about <laughs> as the lead-in to this yes. topic. Um to answer your question, yes. Um, but this sort of goes back to uh, advertising. What we do is we steal culture and present it in a way that the masses will understand. Meaning we take shit that's happening in the world, like cool shit that's happening in the world, whether it's music, art, um, and we're packaging it in a way where most people will be like, oh, that's cool. Nike does a great example of that. Right. Meaning they'll Nike take, is the epitome of that. Like, for example, like Streetball was really big at right. the time. Right, and the 90s campaigns that right. they did. Yeah. So they would do that. They would reach out to people who are actually doing it. Um, and then they linked up with the Neptunes to create amazing music. And those are all things that were part of the culture. And they made it available to the masses. And the masses were like, damn, that shit is cool. Versus a pure reflection of what's going on. Right. Um, so uh, they did a great job of that. And I think their creative uh, also came from that world. So it was super authentic and it translated really well. Uh, the problem now is that because it's so formulaic that 
they don't care about the authenticity as much as how do we do the same thing for cheaper. Mm-hmm. So you automatically wash down what's happening, but you're still creatives are still in a position where they have to explain culture to people. And I think therein lies the struggle with a lot of people uh, of color in advertising because we're taking things from our culture that's happening and whitewashing it and being like, well, this is the acceptable form of what you're looking for. Right. Yeah. And believe it or not, in a lot of these boardroom meetings, they say some like outlandish shit. They'll be like, yeah, well, we had a black person for this last campaign. So uh, for this next one, we got to balance it out. Right, cleans the palate. Mm-hmm. Right, they say shit and like that. They don't that. mean it necessarily in like like I'm racist and I wear like a white robe on my off time, but right, they say right. it in a way where it's like they they lack perspective. They're talking about it in a perspective of a white person. Yeah, and on top of that, like they would love to have authenticity presented on camera, but they themselves are gonna have conflicts about participating in that process but to be fair i don't think necessarily it's uh anyone's fault right because this kind of goes back to the thing you're saying about kpi at the end of the day it's true like a lot of the campaigns that we're creating as much as we wanted to show culture yeah yeah if it doesn't hit with the people that are buying the shit then it doesn't fucking matter right they want to just sell things that's their goal Mm -hmm. um why advertising, like the industry itself, the agency world is difficult is because at some point you're going to have to concede a part of that for it to be, uh, for it to translate into sales. Like if, if, if I'm selling something that comes from a culture that's like so different from yours, you're not going to buy into it because you don't get it. But if I make it translatable for you or like, sorry, if, it, if, it, if I make it understandable for you, then you're going to be like, oh, okay. But I don't think they do it necessarily from uh, like a uh, like I'm white, so I don't relate to this black thing. It's because I'm a majority, and it's not uh, an issue or something a part of my cultural lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So you're just unaware of it. Yeah. So it comes from a place where they don't know, and they have to answer to these KPIs that are preset yeah. by the business yeah. objectives that they have to answer to. And this reminds me of when the Kendall Jenner Pepsi thing came out Mm -hmm. of like, number one, a lot of people are like, how did this get go through all these layers of approval? Like did someone like a person of color just like not speak up like when this was happening? Because it clearly didn't translate. But I also noticed like, I don't know about Anomaly or some of these more quote unquote like hipper agencies with like younger like I feel like some of these more dinosaur style agencies like at least from my observations like in these big companies with thousands of people like the percentage of people of color that's working in creatives in like positions creative of power fields, yeah like it's it's not that many it's really a handful I noticed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that do you feel that way for sure yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I just wanted to finish my thought about like the Pepsi campaign. I think because um, these consumers have more clout, because people were able to call it out, right? Mm-hmm. To, and there were like movements in Black Twitter to be like, "This is tone deaf. This is blank. This is blah blah." And then they, I think that was kind of sent message throughout the industry of just kind of like what you think a majority is is changing, and it's looking more diverse, and they will call you out. And at the end of the day you know, you have to, like, shift your strategy. Yes. So, 
Do you do you also notice that as well? Just like throughout the years, totally people like, being more th- this aware. This is the thing. There's because we have so many different ways of um, understanding and looking at data. Like who's looking at my、mm. thing? Who is buying my thing? Who's blah blah blah? That we've become so hyper sensitive and hyper aware of those things that we try to do the most to blanket something and creating something that will. Hit ninety percent of that target, or like the goal is all of it, right? But that's impossible. So, like, what can I do that will hit with、um, this race, this、uh, economic status? Where do they live? Like, it gets hyper specific. Yeah, hyper localized. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it becomes a problem when you're trying to do a global campaign, let's say, or let's just even say like a campaign for America, because there's nothing like that 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 does that、yeah. in an authentic way. There's nothing that Has a commonality of a thread, especially for a product that all Americans can relate to, right? Right. So you're gonna end up not being 100% authentic, and I think the huge pushback, going back to your point, has been that people now through social are calling out when brands aren't being authentic. So you can't do that anymore. That shit does not fly. You can't say. You're doing this and put a fucking twenty million dollar like budget behind it to make the production look tight, and expect people to be like well, that was real.、Mm-hmm. Because some it only takes one person to call you out on it. You don't even need to be right. verified. Right. But if people be like, "Yep, that is not real." Right. And you will get aired out、right. so quick. Yeah. So a lot of these brands now, going back to your point now, Jakey, are doing things that are much more hyper localized. And I think another brand I keep bringing this back is Nike. They do that so well.、Um, I mean, yes, right now they have problems of their own, but just talking about from the marketing perspective, they were one of the first to do、uh, super localized activations. Right.、Um, they have things like、uh, specific Nike NYC things or、right. Koreatown. Even they、right. have like a run club,、um, and even this past World Cup,、uh, instead of doing one huge hundred million dollar budget commercial. They changed their strategy and they created a different commercial for Korea, a different commercial for Brazil, a different commercial for Germany. Like localized specifically, and they did that. Even though it breaks up, oh, we had a billion views, blah blah blah. For them, they're thinking ahead of that. They're like, well, at least we're being true, and no one's gonna ever be like we're being inauthentic. Right. Yeah. And I think that, like, even though it might not show in numbers and KPIs and all that shit, like your brand legacy is. Uh, you end up unknowingly giving yourself a longer、uh, lifeline, I guess. Right.、Mm-hmm. Not totally, because like the awareness of the brand and what these specific communities that they reach, it's going to create more loyalty. Right. Right. And right. that loyalty, essentially, for a brand is essentially is is、it's、what、gold. they want.、Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So the reason why they have like fucking television、uh, advertisements back in the day, like. On a slot where kids are watching cartoon, but for like Mercedes Benz,、mm-hmm. it's like for this kid to watch Mercedes Benz and think like, okay, ten twenty years later,、mm-hmm. this kid is gonna want a Mercedes、yeah. Benz with、yeah. that hope. So I feel like those hyper localized campaigns, even though at the end of the days these brands, they're public companies that just want to fucking increase their sales so they could like take care of their investors, right? Yeah, and that's their goal at the end of the day. Yeah, to go back to like. The weeds of what what you do. Can you tell us about like a really cool campaign that you worked on, and maybe walk us through from pitch to execution, like your involvement in it, and maybe it could be the Budweiser campaign. 
that you did at the Olympics because that was the most recent one that uh, was huge for the world. For the wor- oh, World Cup. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So do you want to walk us through an example? Um, well, or do yeah, you have I don't a campaign? Need to go, like campaign specific, but like generally how it works is you have an idea. You have like a few ideas that you come up with with your team. You obviously pitch internally. After you do all that, you present to the client, um, and then they buy it. And then you literally, obviously at that point, it runs through production, and they're the ones that take care of how much it's going to cost and yada yada. It's literally just like it, the the idea of it sounds a lot more romantic than it is. It's you literally put three decks in front of people or put it on a PowerPoint or whatever, Google Slides, and you show them what it would potentially look like. Right. The art of the pitch is a whole nother thing. Like, your idea could be great, but if you're boring, um, you're just not doing a good job of selling the actual idea. You have to charm these people, basically. I would think, yeah, honestly, like, I think the difference between a creative director and uh, just a creative is that, like, you can sell shit. Mm -hmm. People, you're charming in a room. People want to be your friend. People think you know everything about creativity. And, like, you know the guy that's, like, just, like, think about it as, like, friends. Like, oh, the guy who's the plug, like, the one that always goes to the type parties. He's the one that right. knows the guy in the front. Like, mm-hmm. you don't need to wait at the door. Like, you want to be that person in this industry um, for them to be like, okay, well, I know this guy can sell shit for me. Uh, without even, like, immediately without even seeing the idea, just based on how he is as a person. Um, so I think people forget about that part of it. Um it's not difficult to create an advertising campaign. I mean, like, look at the ads that we see now. Like, it's not that tight, you know? Like, it's not, like, super crazy. So the industry is huge, but you don't see that many um, people in positions of uh, at that director level because not everyone can sell the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it, – I, I, sorry, I steered a little away no from worries. your original question. Um, but that process still is the same where you create the idea and sell it. Yeah. Actually, this sort of touches upon how I got into advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys, do you guys remember that movie, What Women Want by Mel, with Mel yeah, Gibson? Yeah, Mel Gibson. They're about to make a, a female version with, uh, um, I forget the actresses. Oh, um, Taraji P. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, uh, we saw it at the Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, yeah, The trailer for that. Exactly. Making, exactly. Like, with Mel Gibson? I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. that movie, it's it's an old movie, but it's... It's, it's not that old, but... It's pretty old. It came out in the 90s or early 2000s? Before. Bro, it's 2018. All right, fine. Yeah, <laughs> fine. I, that's why I don't remember. All right, fine. <laughs> that's at uh-huh. least 15 years ago. Yeah. All right, cool. That movie is what sort of... I was like, oh, that's kind of tight. Because... Um, uh, this sounds weird now, but he was able to hear the thoughts of women, and that's how he like took advantage of them. Right. Um, I know <laughs> that sounds I, I, crazy. Me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Oh. That sounds crazy right now. Yeah. Um, but he was able to gain insight into how women think and using those insights to create a campaign that um, connects with them emotionally. Right. Oh, he's a, like ad creative? He's a, right, right. He works oh. as a copywriter in the movie, right? Where it was a creative yeah, director. I, I, I don't remember. Yeah. It's been a while. But mm-hmm. I remember seeing that and being like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of in the back of my head, I guess, mm-hmm. um, before I but, got into but this. But I think um, before we go further deep into um, your career accomplishments as working in advertising, I feel like it's kind of interesting to note your background. Because I feel like it kind of has a huge 
influence on why you do what you do. So let's just kind of go back to the genesis of like, you know, what was your childhood like? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it seems like you moved around a bit until yeah, you yeah. settled in L.A. And then, you know, L.A. itself is also a very multicultural city. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Even you guys saying this to me, I'm like, damn, like, that sounds pretty cool. Wow. You're the guy with the plug. From your perspective, right. like, it, it, it seems interesting. But right. if I'm telling that same story, I would be like, I don't know what the fuck I was doing with my life. Right. And I needed to weigh, I needed a way to pay rent. Right. So I'm just going to do shit that I know how to do. Right. And just pull the thread until something happens. Um, I don't think I ever really planned on being where I'm at right now. Right. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I, th- I think it kind of happened in a way where because of your in- experiences led to where it to happen, right? So I, I know that in your 20s that you were working as a dancer. So how yeah. did that happen? Well, I mean, like, yeah. So, like, I I went to school in L.A. I went to UCLA. Um, and I was studying uh, Asian American studies and political science. And then... Um, I was not that great of a student. I was just fucking around a lot. Um, I took uh, a lot of dance classes and um, like it was like sort of like my getaway, I guess, from school. And that dance community in LA is really big. Um, And I didn't know what I was doing. So after school, like, or like, yeah, most of the days I would just start going to the studio and I just met people who were doing this as like a career and they were like yo you want to like you down you want to become a k-pop star like and it was it's like you don't think about it at that time because when you're in your like i don't even know if i was 21 at that point you don't think about career or at least i didn't i really didn't I, i like it literally was just an opportunity that just fell on my lap and i took it and like I, I didn't know how big of a blessing it was until later on in life when I think back and I'm like, oh, like. So you must that have was been pretty, pretty cool. good though for for these professional dancers to like embrace you and want you want you to be down with it, like because um, you were like you've danced for you know artists like. Well, like this is this thing about it's like it's 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 sort of related to what I was saying earlier, but. Um, because that was never my goal. I think I, I made a lot of good friends in the industry. Mm. Um, and that were genuine. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, yo, I'm trying to get a look. Right, right. right. Like, like I still wouldn't, like there's so many better dancers out there. I just got lucky with a lot of opportunities. Um, I was just never like really that guy in the front, <laughs> you know, but I was lucky enough to do it. Um, it's just not a steady income. It's not sustainable. Right. Um, and after a while, like, it's great hanging out with artists, but I think Kevin Hart said it best. Like, they'd be like, oh, like, I'm going to drop 2000 on a table because I was out there with the artists, too. You're like, oh, fuck, I got to spend 2000 on a table, <laughs> you know? And that's not a lifestyle that's, like, it doesn't match because I don't know if I'm going to make the next, um, like, music video or, or tour. So it's there's no sustainability in it. Um, so... I think that's at that time it was like a crossroads of like okay what am I going to do now? I was living in Korea at the time. I was working with um, like K-pop at that time. Yeah, drop some names, yo. <laughs> that's Drop dope. some names, yo. I mean, I was like dancing for like Boa, 
right. at the time was like probably like the okay, biggest Mar- money Marcus maker. Is, Marcus is probably gonna like put some little dancing for boa. Yeah, and then I was like also teaching SATs uh, right. to like uh, kids who are from Korea but studied in America. Right. So I was doing that. That was like amazing money. Um, and at that time, just figuring shit out. And then after that, I was like, you know what? Like, what am I doing? So if I'm not doing anything here anyway, why don't I just go, like, just see the world for a bit? Right. Um, and that see the world for a bit turned into, like, a year of traveling. Which countries did you hit up, man? That, that and must how have... old were you? I don't remember how old I was. I think I was, like, in my mid-20s at that point. So in your mid-20s where many people... Um, especially, I feel like, of Asian-American heritage in the uni- United States. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, like, striving for careers. They're probably, like, a junior totally. or, like, like, an analyst for a company. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. these guys are, like, starting to build steady income. You know, they were probably, like, nobodies back in high school, and then now they started making some bread and started, like, you know, dropping some dime in K-Town. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. they totally, were living totally. that lifestyle. Yeah. You were, like, fucked, bruh, like, I was just teaching SATs, dancing for Boa, Taeyang, and Rain, and now I'm about to go travel the world for a year. Uh, yeah, it's like, in retrospect, I think that's probably what had happened. Right. Literally at that time, I was like probably hungover. Yeah. You know, waking up a at mess. like three a.m. <laughs> or three p.m. and being like, "What am I doing? Like, there's literally nothing is going on in my life that I'm like proud of. I'm not gonna tell my grandpa that I'm a dancer." Like. Can you imagine how crazy that sounds? Yo, like, that sounds kind of tight. I'm a dancer for you and Junior. Like, that's tight. That sounds insane. In a Korean, <laughs> like, who? in a traditional Korean, Korean household, yeah. that yeah. sounds insane. Yeah, yeah. and especially because your parents are very, like, academic, right? Right, right. So. I mean, luckily, like, my parents, so the reason I was born in Germany was because they they went to university there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to pay school because right. they, they were obviously not super well off. Um, and it was free. And so I was lucky enough to, I guess, witness other ways of living right. before I got older. Shout out to the European school systems, yo. For real. You know For what real. I mean? For real. Um, America, y'all need to spend your money more wisely. Yes. <laughs> so to see that, I think I knew that there was more to whatever it is I was doing than that route everybody else was taking. Right. Because I've seen it firsthand. Like being in another country and seeing how other people live. I know that it's not just a dream. It's like Real. literally every, like people are actually doing this. Mm-hmm. So why can't that be the same for, mm. it, it just takes, it's it's up to you to make that decision, right. right? Nobody says you have, there's like one way to achieve anything. Right. And my parents were very supportive of that. Right. Um, my dad, he's a uh, professor of religion. So I think that helped a lot um, in seeing uh, perspectives of different lifestyles. Like bathroom readings are like lessons from Zen Buddhism. That's right. You know. Um, so yeah. So that kind of like gave you a wider perspective. I think so. I mean, and, and I, of- but I think this all basically ties into the fact that like yes, I think your worldly upbringing have maybe had you lean into the career that you have, but mm-hmm. also you're good at it because right. You're because worldly. You have a, yeah, because you have a wider perspective on things. So as you were traveling, like. Did you just have like this uh, epitome or like epiphany? this epi- no, epi- epiphany, I'm sorry. <laughs> epiphany, like this awakening, this mm-hmm. enlightenment uh, that you're like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to just go do advertising. Um, 
Well, f- first of all, like which countries did you like touch down? I started in China. Um, it was through a church program, actually, and I was helping uh, North Korean refugees learn English before mm-hmm. they, so I see, like you some like interesting <laughs> motherfucker, man. Like, well, well, before they they moved, so there's this whole thing called like it's kind of like the Underground Railroad, mm. um, obviously paralleling the story of slaves going into the north mm-hmm. right. in America. Uh, there was a route that was very popular back in the day where you would go through China right. and then Southeast Asia to Korea. Right. Um, as opposed to going straight through. Right, because yeah. that's impossible. Right. Um, after that, I, um, I just traveled through China. I did um, Southeast Asia, Thailand. I was uh, bartending at some bars in Cambodia. Uh, I had my backpack, and that's it. So when you started, did you say, did you give yourself a time, like, I'm going to do mm-hmm. this for a year? Or were mm-hmm. you just like, I'm just going to do this until yeah. I find something? I, my, I don't think that was my goal. My goal wasn't to purposely find something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at first it started off as maybe running away from uh, taking responsibility of becoming an adult and finding, like, a job or whatever. Um, but it became more of a thing of um, finding contentment without the... Uh, without the pressures of having to answer to society's wants from you, mm. meaning a job, meaning family, career, stability, friendships, mm-hmm. um, all of that. Like I was like, you know what? If I if those things are all things that we learned growing up, without it, how do you find contentment in your whole like stoicism? I guess? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. After about a year, it was probably like closer to like 10, 10 months, 10, 11 months. After that, I, I ended in Europe. Um, I have family still in Europe, in Germany. Uh, my aunt and uncle were nice enough to buy me a plane ticket back to Korea. And that's when I started teaching SATs and I saved money. And I during my backpacking time, uh, I met one of my best friends, Pete, who's also in advertising. He's a mm-hmm. uh, creative director now here in New York City. He's the one that actually brought up like, yo, like, because I, I would write in my journal every day. So mm-hmm. me and my dad, we would do this thing where we write uh, an email every single day of my travels. And it was just kind of like just thoughts. Wow. That's um, so cute. Damn, so yeah, so shout out to your dad. Yeah, I mean, he's he, awesome. Yeah, really. He's, he's great. I would show some of these like letters of like thoughts that I had with people that I met traveling. And he was like, hey, like you're like a, you know, decent writer. Have you considered going to ad or like have you considered going to copywriting? Mm. And at that time, I thought copywriting meant like in the back of a book when it says like 1996 <laughs> copyright yada yada. I was like, cool. Like I don't really see how that's related to writing at right, all. Right, right, uh, right. But I'll think about it. Bro. <laughs> um, and then I looked into it more, and then the whole connection I made at that time, like, mm. oh, this is what I had seen back in the day, what I thought was cool. And it seems like a really like easy thing to do. Mm. It seems like a lot like of not work, right? <laughs> not work for you because <laughs> like, it comes naturally, okay. right? I mean, like growing up, you're also like doing this all the time. Like you're sitting around in like a circle smoking, be like, "Yo, bro, wouldn't it be so funny if yada yada?" 
that's literally what you're doing now at a right. more adult level. Yeah. I mean, sometimes weed is still involved, but it's basically that. Now we just have a <laughs> so ways different of, from my experience. <laughs> you have a ways of yeah, making nah, those sure. what if you blah blah blah. Yeah. Into, yeah. You know, you know what be tight. Right. You know, you know what be fire. Right. Right. <laughs> be like exactly. Wow. Yeah. So smoke lots of weed, children. <laughs> just don't nah, no, I'm just I mean, kidding. Listen, don't do that. Man, like, it's. It's like that's the best way to like get your ideas flowing. You know what I'm saying? It's just like having a bunch of good people around you and just start bullshitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Did you always see yourself as being a creative person? Um, I don't know. I, or did I, it take I, people like Pete to be like, oh, maybe I like am? You're not bad. Yeah, you know what's funny? Actually, like right before um, I went on this trip, I had taken my LSATs for law school. What? Oh, wow. Um, Did you pass? Yeah, well, I mean, you get a score. Right. Yeah. And so I applied, uh, and I was accepted to a few schools. But this was right after I had done all the schooling. This is right after I was doing all this dancing and just living whatever. And I was like, do I really want to go back to school and be a lawyer, or am I just doing this because I feel like I need to do something? Right. And like, am I doing this for myself? But it's like, yo, that's still pretty impressive, like, that you actually study for your LSATs mm-hmm. and then you got a good score for you to, like, apply to <laughs> decent colleges. Well, so then, well, like, so I, that's that was my thing. I was like, am I just doing this because it's, it's you know, this to is going to sound really right. snobby, but is, is it because it's the easier route for me? Mm-hmm. And am I just settling into something that I know that other people have done and have lived successful lives right. yeah. have done? It's am like I just the doing golden that? handcuff. Right, right, right mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's when I was like, you know what? Like, let me just because you're allowed to. Uh, if you get accepted to a school, you can defer your enrollment for a year, mm. or at least the school that I was about to go to uh, allowed Which that. Which school was it? Uh, it was University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Great school, man. Smart motherfuckers. And I was like, you know what? Like, uh, let me just take a year off and just figure this shit mm. out. And I think maybe that was a little bit of. The, uh, I was like, okay, within a year, maybe I'll mm-hmm. figure something out. And that's when I went backpacking. And I um, obviously opted not to go to school. Um, that was difficult for, I think, my parents. Um, right, because that would have been like on some Kamune Yongguang type shit. It's like yeah. family's honor. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> but as, yeah. as liberal and as secular as they were, like I'm sure like they were like... For sure. I mean, I feel like even now, like if I heard a friend being like, oh, I'm choosing not to go to law school... So I can go at University backpack. of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, so bro, good. you're yeah. fucking tripping. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. What are you doing? Or like, I'd be like, at least go first, and then and if then it's crazy, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. But I wasn't even on that like wavelength yeah. at that time. I was just so like not whatever. I mean, but like, shout out to my parents again. Like, my parents were the type where when we got our report cards in high school. They wouldn't open it, and they would just write a letter on top of the report card. See, that's the thing, like, man. I feel like upbringing you know? has such a huge deal, mm-hmm. has a, such a huge impact on like how a child's creativity and how they come about. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So you got introduced to advertising by your boy Pete. Yep. And then I feel like, you know, you and I have this kind of conversation quite often. Is like. Yo, young, like, do you think, like, I'll be capable of working in advertising if, like, everything I'm doing right now doesn't work out, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then you would say, hey, bro, like, I feel like you are totally capable. And, but the next question I had was, like, yo, do I got to go to school for this shit? Like, is there, like, a, a, like no. a school that teaches advertising? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and then you told me, okay, like, I did go to a school. Mm-hmm. So, you did. Yeah, I went tell to a portfolio about, school in yeah, Atlanta. Yeah, tell us about that. Called Creative Circus. Um, probably t- 
top three advertising portfolio schools in, mm. in the nation. Um, there's also VCU, which is a great school. Um, they offer you uh, an actual master's degree afterwards if you want to teach. Um, and then there's a few other portfolio schools. What is a portfolio? Yeah, school? what is a portfolio school? Uh, it's 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 like a if you went to design school, you don't end up as like a degree as a designer. You have a portfolio that shows all your work. Mm. In the same way, you have advertising school where you end up with a portfolio with all your work of different ads that you've created. Obviously, these are fake ads, mm. mm-hmm. um, but it shows thinking and ideation. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's um, like a res- you building your resume, kind of. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but nowadays, uh, th- with the whole... I don't think people need to go to school anymore. Um, I mean, yes, it's important to think... Like, it, It's important because it tel- helps you to think critically, but that's with any schooling, right? Um, but with the advent of um, the internet, I would say, people are creating content without doing it because someone is telling you to do it. You are creating content for the sake of creating content. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, for example, like you. Let's take you, for example, JK. Right. The reason why I think you'd be, yeah, the reason why I think you'd be successful in advertising right. is you've produced a movie that's already on Netflix. Right. How many people in this world can say that? Right. right? You run campaigns through a business that you're running on your own, right. whether it's with brands Nike or Carhartt. Right. These are all big name brands, and they've turned to you to create successful campaigns for them. Right. Um, oh, you're making me blush right now, yo. So, I mean, think about it. If you if 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 someone sees that, they'll be like, obviously, this guy knows how to sell work and create right. work. So, why would you need school to? When you're already doing it. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. You know, like, and that's what I'm saying. Like, people now are already doing it. People who are using YouTube as their own channel mm. or Twitch, they're cre- they're almost branding themselves to become brand ambassadors or um, just creatives in general. So I mean, advertising is literally, like, the easiest thing to do. Like, I'm not saying that just to humble myself, mm. but it's really not that difficult. Um I think even Banksy once said it's like the lowest of art forms because you're creating art to sell shit versus for the sake of, mm-hmm. uh, which is so true. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you need a livelihood, right? Yeah, and the, I guess the difficult part is like the interpersonal communication part of like d- dealing with different clients with like crazy personalities, managing expectations. And yes. you, you're producing these as well. So making mm-hmm. sure on the day of everything is running smoothly, mm. like it's a it's a production, right? So right, right. it is difficult, but maybe in the way that people don't expect. Right. It, it's um. Yes, there's rules to it, but I've always been a huge believer in that. The more freedom you give people, the better outcome it is. Mm. And this also actually sort of ties back to what you were saying about upbringing. I feel like my parents gave me a lot of freedom to. Um, let me let me just first define what I think freedom is. I think mm-hmm. that's important to like sort of set boundaries. It doesn't right, mean like right, right, right. all out like chaos where like <laughs> right. you can like I wasn't allowed to fucking have crayon drawings on my wall or anything like that. But I think it was providing a space for me where I can maximize what I want to do and become. Mm. And I think if you want to hone creativity, you need to sort of create that. Um, environment environment where you feel safe enough where you don't feel like your ideas are dumb. Mm-hmm. 
So one of the first things that you learn in advertising is you never say no. So if you say, hey, what if I did this? And even though I might not think that idea is great, I shouldn't say no to you. What I want to do is cool, but what if we also and mm. I like build on that, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's sort of like you also learn this in um, uh, what's that type of uh, acting called where like you're just on the spot improv improv yeah is whatever situation that they're improving you don't say no to that. They's like oh yeah blah blah it's raining like, you don't say no it's not because if you say that it's okay. <laughs> I guess it's not raining anymore. Right. So, yeah, yeah, right? right? Like you're changing the environment. So right. to avoid that, you want to always say yes. And, and, and I'm tying that to the whole idea of freedom mm. being that when you are given a space to be as creative as you want, um, you end up with better results. And I feel mm. like the best agencies uh, tend to help you do that. Um, so I think let's talk a little bit about like some of the dope campaigns that you did. I feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like, tell us about, first of all, that messy ad with one of the biggest soccer players in the world. Like, how was that process like? So this was for Samsung Note. Um, and this is the first time that they had it accompanied with the pen. Right. Um, so The you stylus? Can, yeah, the stylus, so that you can draw on it, whatever. So the whole insight was... Um, as long as you can imagine it, then Samsung will help you create it. Mm. Was like sort of the beginning thinking process of that. So to tie that into, uh, this was right before, uh, world, this was supposed to be a World Cup ad at the time. Um, we, the idea was uh, in a kid's imagination, wh- what would their like dream soccer, be, dream yeah, yeah. soccer field be? Right. And so, um, basically, like, I, I got sort of lucky because at that time I had also just went to South by Southwest and I was exposed to this artist. Um, what song was that? Now I can't think of it. Um, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> He's about to look this shit up. Na 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 I'm not gonna know it. You know the song. It was okay. huge. It was okay. huge. <gasps> Wait, can you? T- <laughs> you mean Lord? Yes, Lord. Oh, oh my yes. God! There we go. Yeah. Oh, Wait, you guys, should this become a segment where Jason sings the song <laughs> and we guess Lord, Lord? So I had just gone to South by Southwest and uh-huh. I saw yeah. her perform. Okay, so you saw Lord, and perform. I was like, "Yo, this girl's gonna blow up." Right? Yeah. So let's try to get this song uh, for this commercial right. before whatever, so we can get it for the low. Right. And luckily, um, my creative directors at the time like knew someone at Sony, and I think she was signed at that time, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so we ended up using that song, mm. and the day we aired the commercial, uh, that song hit number one on billboards, <gasps> too. Wow. Oh so it was one of those things that was like, in my mind... Like, if I'm talking to you, it's like, oh, I heard some great artists at South by Southwest. You guys would be like, oh, cool, we'll, we'll use it. But to people like Samsung, and this was a global campaign, uh, there's like two levels where you have to explain, hey, this person uh, doesn't have an album out yet, has no following, um, does not have a hit song, is from New Zealand, I believe. And she's not like like a Beyonce type. And she's not a Beyonce type. Uh, and I know this is supposed to be a global campaign and we're using um, Messi. Uh, would you guys be down to use a song? It, it was a hard sell. Right. But 
I, I when I heard her, I, I, I just knew that I was like, dude, this is gonna be a hit. Like, right. you, you know when you just know sometimes yeah, when you yeah, just yeah, hear yeah. artists. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, dude, like just. I, I was you still a junior your, at the your time. Your gut mm-hmm. instinct was yeah, just was telling like, you. Just, right. I was like, if I'm like, if if I'm like, I'll put my like all my eggs in this basket. If this is not tight and this is not a good song, then you can fire me. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're like, all right, fine. And then so they ended up using that song, hit number one. And I was at that time, I was like, I felt like big shit. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? Because I was like, my first campaign that I got to work right. on, or second campaign. Um, so it kind of just happened. You're like this wunderkind. It just kind of happened mm-hmm. like naturally. Like it was, right. it was, it was uh, just That's amazing, the right though. time. Yeah. It was just the right time. No, nah, um, but still like for you to have that foresight because there was other room, other people in that room that probably heard the song, but it wasn't like, damn, we got to tie in this record with a campaign. You yeah. Know what I'm yeah. So it I, happened for the, uh, but so, so the next, um, you know, campaign that you worked on that I wanted to talk about is the, uh, it it also ties into music, right? Because yes. that video um, that you made with YouTube for yep. YouTube, yep. you told me that. Um, is, is, so so to kind of give you a premise of the video, you see like this chubby Asian kid who's like obviously into hip hop, and then he's riding a subway, and then as he comes down, he see a group of black kids, right? Much older than him. We're not all black, but like group of kids that are older than him, mm-hmm. that like. It looks, it appears like these guys are intimidating and they look like the real shit. Like they're the authentic version mm-hmm. of who this kid wants to be in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. And mm-hmm. then he kind of like shrivels up and then he kind of has the courage to walk up. And then those guys respect him for who he is. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was like, so when I saw that campaign and I was automatically, I was able to relate to it because it kind of like reminded me of like a younger version of myself in a mm-hmm. way and it used a song that at the time I don't think anybody who that ad was intended to knew you know what I mean it was a rap record called Ung uh, featuring a bunch of Korean rappers at the time that weren't even that famous right so how did that come about and like it was another example of you displaying you know like this like you had this foresight for this song to become big um and, and that song actually ended up becoming a huge hit. So is this a Korean song? Or it's a is Korean this a, rap song. It's yeah. a Korean, Korean rap, song. rap song that is used in a YouTube campaign for America. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, okay. Okay, so that that story is 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 called Jason's Theme because it's, it's like, slightly based on, like, my upbringing. Right. Um, listening to hip-hop. Uh, Johnny actually was the creative director on that, and that's that's his idea. Okay. Um, obviously, helping out with song choice and blah blah blah. Right. I mean, we could have done better with casting, but I mean that too. It's it's it comes it goes back to what we we're saying about uh, being authentic. Right. Right. Th- that song is actually a tight song. Right. And it's a real Korean rap song. Right. It's not made for the sake of an ad. Right. So. It was easy to get the rights to it and whatever, whatnot, because it wasn't like a crazy like, label thing yeah. at that time. But it was real hip hop, right? Right. Um, and being authentic, I feel like, will always trump anything. Uh-huh. Um, 
So it, it just came from that. It was just like one of those things like, dude, it, ha- it has to be the song. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. No question about yeah. it. Yeah. And you're, the Johnny that you're mentioning is the one you met in portfolio school. Yes. Right? And, and he's my creative director. He's like the global creative director on mm-hmm. Budweiser. Um, I met him uh, during my time at portfolio school. But he's like also one of my best friends. Got you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So right. he's very in tune with what's going on. Obviously, that's why he's, you know, making the big bucks. But... Um, one thing that I s- appreciate so much beyond on a professional level is his authenticity towards his interests, towards mm. things that are actually happening. And um, and I think he understands also uh, the position of power he's in to be able to leverage the fact that he's the one conveying these things and being able to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes huge, that very seriously. It, yeah, he mm-hmm. takes that very seriously. And he's Armenian, right? So no, no, no. Armenian he's he's uh, uh, he's uh, he's he white. passes as white. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah, look, he's he, white. You know, you wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. D'Antonio is his last name. So, uh-huh. uh, like, obviously, yeah. there's some Italian. But yeah, but then, he's, um, yeah, he's has but is respectful towards. <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah. not even mm-hmm. just respectful. Mm-hmm. He's like he's straight up. He's in it. Mm-hmm. Like I can take him around to uh, an event and it wouldn't be awkward or weird or like, I mean, I've taken him to like super Korean spots mm-hmm. and he loves it. Mm-hmm. And like me and him are like probably the only like non-black people at like a huge party, like like everyday people, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. like, and it won't be weird mm-hmm. because he's actually about it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it doesn't like, you know, I mean, this is going to, be probably not politically correct for me to say, but whatever. Like, fix it in post. Just kidding. <laughs> you can choose to edit mm-hmm. it, but I don't. I have a huge issue I have with identity politics. Is that you are forcing people's um, look to determine what you are and aren't able to be a part of? Mm-hmm. And I think it does more. Uh, it's more divisive than actually helping. And this is a great example. This goes back to actually what Donnie was talking about in his podcast and the idea of tribalism is that, you know, in today's age, your tribe is much more determined by commonality of interests versus because I'm yellow or because Mm -hmm. I'm black or Mm -hmm. because I'm Asian. Same thing. It goes for the whole like talk that you hear about um, people using black sense. And it's like that's like how is that a thing like it's right. it, it, you're ignoring people's upbringings and i'm not saying that the uh the concerns that are raised by those communities are not valid i think it just shows that uh as as wide and open media has made people's lives and cultures there's still a huge part of where people are not made aware that there are people who've grown up in these different Environment, environments and also I feel that like are authentic to them still right yeah that and are reflective mm-hmm. of another culture right not based on appropriation but literally because that's that's their background right. yeah. that's just how they are you know? right yeah it's yeah. like who owns what and like mm-hmm. if anything if like making those observations you're almost making it known your own observation of like they are not supposed to talk like that you know, mm. people who look like this are not supposed to like this or right. be in this. or And that's – so having those criticism actually reveals a lot more about the person who's saying 100%. them. 100 yeah. percent. That so. means you need more friends. Mm. Right. Yeah, but since, yeah, you know what I mean? That's like, really like – yeah, um, it's really a reflection of who you are. 
than more so than like right. what the perception that you have. And, yeah. and it pisses off a lot of my friends I know because they're like, well, so you're saying I don't exist? I'm out here. Mm-hmm. You like I've been out here. I've been putting up this flag of Asian representation and mm-hmm. yada yada. But you know, you have this one think piece, mm-hmm. and you are ignoring the hundreds of others of people, thousands of others of people who've come before you who have been waving this flag, and to um, say it's inauthentic because based on your perception and your upbringing, you have not been made aware of that, I think is a little short-sighted. Yeah. Yeah, it's very short-sighted. No, I mean, I feel like it's talking on, speaking on the subject of black scent, I feel like a one tweet, I forgot who posted, was it Justin Charity, who's a writer at The Ringer, who said, yo, like, I feel like a lot of people forget that kids are not trying to talk black. They're trying to be like rappers. Mm-hmm. You know, like a whole generation of kids wanted to be like rappers. Yeah, not necessarily it's a little, it's wanted like to be a black like, person. Honestly, it's a little, it's a little um, naive, right, to say that black equals hip hop and hip hop equals black. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, I mean, I grew up in the '90s, and like, you know, like I think my first tape was crisscross or like black sheep or some right. shit like that and then obviously Pac you know like and all that and that was the the background of my environment and I, f- I felt more in tune with it because it was about struggles and right. it was about people uh, who don't have power right. coming up and taking it right, right. Um, so it was something it was a lifestyle that I was much more I felt connected to and that was the only thing that w- made me feel more American and right. common with the people that I'm living with. For sure. Mm-hmm. Even more so than people in Korea because, like, I don't have shit to do with Korea. Like, right. just because my parents are Korean. Mm-hmm. Like, right. But, like, culturally, I have no... Right. Like, Direct there. correlation. Right, yeah. right, right, yeah. right, right, right. So, nah, I, I totally agree with you. And it was the same thing, too. Like, I was um, saying, like, I, you know, I wanted to dress like Cameron. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to dress like a random black person who lives on 125th Street and Lenox in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted to dress specifically like Cameron. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, I think, yeah, Cameron is black. But I want, even if Cameron was white or even if Cameron was Asian, I probably still wanted to dress like Cameron. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, because yeah. his main identifier isn't his race. Isn't his it's necessarily his, style, his race. Yeah, there's definitely music. components to mm-hmm. it. But the fact that he's an ignorant guy who talks about funny shit and dresses in a pink fur coat is what I wanted to aspire to be. You know what I'm saying? Yo, 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 yo. So here's an unfortunate news for all you listeners of 699 per pound podcast. Due to some uh, technical difficulties, our Jason Kim episode had to be abruptly cut short. Why? Because we don't own this studio, bruh. And uh, some folks who came after us decided to belligerently pulverize the file. So what we have is what we have. Hope you enjoyed it regardless. Anything you want to add, JoJo? No. Nothing. But yeah, because she feels guilty. Because she uh, accidentally (laughs) deleted the file. I didn't delete it. But yo, Jason, spelled as uh, J-A-Y-S-N. There was some confidential information. is readily available, I think, 
Um, he's a good friend of ours. He's uh, his Instagram handle is J A Y S N T H E Kim Jason to Kim. Uh, ladies, make sure you holler at him, but do it on the low because he's about to get married. His fiance. Fiance. But uh, we'll make sure to bring him back on to talk more about culture, advertising, and all things interesting. Yeah, man. Hey yo, it's 699 per pound. Podcast.